Hello and welcome to another episode of Bama Expats. I'm Mark Torrance here with Matt Dover in New York, as always, and uh, we are here with a eulogy of sorts for Alabama's 2018-2019 basketball season. More of an autopsy. Yeah, autopsy, eulogy, um, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Alabama has played its last meaningful basketball of the season. Crime scene investigation. Yeah, all of the above. Um, Obviously, uh, beating Ole Miss in the uh, SEC tournament, which was a I think a surprise for a lot of people and a pleasant development, which uh, forced us all to care for about 24 more hours um, and cling on to some small sense of hope against Kentucky, which uh, ultimately did not materialize at all, was never really in danger of materializing, and Alabama uh, bounced pretty emphatically from the SEC tournament and just missed out on a second straight uh, tournament appearance. Actually got closer than I think a lot of people, even our model, uh, kind of expected. Um, so uh, here on this episode, um, first of all, this is going to be our last uh, regularly scheduled episode for a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of time off, let this all kind of simmer. We will check back in a little bit, um, talk a little bit of spring football, um, and you know, pending any. Uh, late breaking news around the basketball team um, that'll be it for us and you can keep up with us on our Twitter account at Bama Expats for any of those uh, uh, late breaking developments um, I also just wanted to note that you know right now obviously a lot of people are rightfully upset at the state of the basketball program and just kind of how the season ended um, you know obviously for a program like Alabama a proud athletic department like Alabama um, making the NIT is unacceptable, and I think we all recognize that. Uh, however, you know we don't—we've never pretended to have any kind of inside info into what is going on with the team or the administration or anything. And you know we've never really been one for speculation or uh, hot taking. So we're not going to get into any kind of questions surrounding the future of the program on this episode. We're just going to stick to what we do best which is uh, looking at what happened, trying to provide some context for that, um, and hopefully you know, give you some more information that you can take with you uh, into the future. Because uh, regardless of what happens, there will be a 2019-2020 Alabama basketball team and uh, that we're really excited to watch. So uh, with that said, today we're going to uh, kind of recap Selection Sunday, especially as it... Uh, as it concerned Alabama, kind of look at how close they got um, and just kind of what the difference was between being in and out. Um, we're going to kind of uh, take an autopsy, as Matt said, uh, on the season as a whole, just kind of talk about what went wrong, uh, any bright spot takeaways um, that you can take into next season, and then we're going to take a look at uh, how this Alabama roster is shaping up for next season, you know, who could stay who could leave just kind of where where the the team stands from a personnel standpoint uh going forward so matt uh let's jump in here um alabama obviously missed the field tell us how close they got and just kind of where alabama ended up in the in the pecking order on selection sunday yeah so um as everybody's seen by now alabama 
according to the official tournament selection committee, was the second team left out of the tournament field. So uh, tantalizingly close. And, um, you know, we, we look, we said, um, well, actually back all to the beginning of the calendar year, if you'll recall, we said if you took every game Alabama had scheduled to play after uh, the calendar, you know, turned from 2018 to 2019, based on when Alabama had, based on the way Alabama had scheduled in the non-conference, based on what Alabama had done in the non-conference schedule, um, that Alabama needed to win 10 of its 20 guaranteed games uh, that were going to take place in uh, in 2019, uh, the 2019 calendar year. That's the 18 SEC regular season games. It was the 13th final non-conference game against Baylor that was sort of squeezed in at the end of January. Uh, and then it was the you know, the guaranteed opening game at the SEC tournament. He said Alabama needed to win 10, 10 of those of those guaranteed games. Um, it turned out that uh, and that, that, that was Alabama's goal. If Alabama got the goal, they'd get in. Um, turned out that Alabama went 8-10 and 10 in the SEC, uh, lost the game to Baylor, uh, a game we might add Alabama had a lead in the last four or five minutes. Um, lost that game. Uh, did win the first game of the SEC tournament. Uh, but guess what? That adds up to nine wins. Uh, Just couldn't Alabama get that 10th win. was one game short of what we said the goal would be. And to sort of, uh, there are a lot of, you know, bat, uh, backs to pat uh, around Alabama basketball, but we'll pat ourselves in the back here. <laughs> For this one, which is if Alabama had gotten just one more win, you know, like we can say this with pretty much 100% confidence. When you're literally two teams away from making the tournament, um, absolutely one more win, um, you know, gets that for you. And so, yeah, you, know, you can pick any pick any game. Yeah. Um, and and it, there not, were there were plenty to pick from. Oh yeah, and not it's not just the games that happened in 2019. Go, I mean, the the number one. You know, woulda, coulda, shoulda game has to be, always has been, and has to still be the Georgia State game. Um, may this forever be the last time we mention this game. <laughs> We've brought it up a bunch of times over the course of the season, but we'll bring it up one more time because, yeah, Alabama, you know, blowing a 22 point second half lead. Um, yeah. That, a team who ended up making the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, no. Look, uh, we'll talk about Alabama's schedule in a second, but Alabama scheduled the way it did for a reason. It, you know, I guess it doesn't technically pay off unless you actually get in the tournament, but it absolutely helped Alabama get as close as they got when otherwise they wouldn't have gotten that close. Uh, but no, Alabama is intentionally scheduled teams like Georgia State, teams that they should beat, but teams who you get at least a little bit of credit for if you do, so it's kind of worth the risk. Um, Murray State was one of those teams. Alabama beat them. Liberty was one of those teams. Alabama beat them. Um, Stephen F. Austin was supposed to be one of those teams. Alabama beat them, but then they ended up not doing very well, so they didn't get much credit. But um, but anyways, but back to back to the Georgia State. You know, like you, you had you when you're up 22 points, um, you got to put the game away. Uh, you put that game away. Alabama makes it. Um, and I, by the way, one more win doesn't just get Alabama in. One more win, pop would have very would have had a great chance of getting Alabama even past the first four. You know, having Alabama as like one of the bottom 10 seeds or maybe like. Ohio State was an 11 seed that sort of was just above. They were the last team above the play-in round. Uh, teams, Alabama could have easily been clear of, of that hurdle even. Uh, Pick the Georgia State game. The next one to look at after that has to be the Texas A&M game where Alabama blew a 14-point lead and lost on just a ridiculous shot. And, and on that one, that was one that we said in our 
article we posted on Selection Sunday Morning. For those of you that, that saw our, our article on Twitter, uh, you can go back and read it if, if you want. Um, I think it holds up pretty well. Uh, that, you know, if Alabama's entire team does literally nothing different, like not a single micro-movement shot decision is any different whatsoever, and nothing changes except for one Texas A&M player when he shoots a ridiculous shot that shouldn't have gone in um, at the buzzer, actually doesn't go in like it should, shouldn't. It should have been – that's like a 5% chance he makes that shot given the way, you know, he was off balance and moving and it hit the right. glass. Like, you know, if that shot did what it should have done, which is not go in. Um, and Alabama does every Alabama does every bad thing that we've complained about and we will – you know, continue talking about in our next piece of this show, the middle segment of this this episode. Um, Alabama does everything wrong that it did do wrong, but just that ridiculous shot doesn't go in. Alabama makes the tournament, and very likely, or at least very possibly, doesn't even have to go to the play-in round. So, um, and it just shows how yeah. small those margins are. I think yeah. the other thing to point out that I don't think was unexpected, but. We talked a lot, especially in the last like two or three weeks of the season, when it was kind of becoming apparent that Alabama was was probably not going to hit that ten win mark. Um, that if that was the case, and it you know couldn't pick up that win against Arkansas, or uh, or, or at, even after the Arkansas game, it became well, if we beat Ole Miss, do we still have a chance? We knew we were going to be watching a lot of those other conference tournament games for bid thieves and. You know, we said there's usually about three or four every year. This year there were four, I think we said. Yeah, we thought there were three, and then it turned out because Belmont was one of the teams that committed right. that it really was four built bid steals. So if, if yeah. you know, if two of those hadn't gone that way, you know, then uh, then Alabama maybe could have gotten it. It just goes to show that it, it, it's such... Alabama would have gotten it. Yeah. The, the committee said that... They had Alabama lined up to be the last team in. Um, you know, B- Belmont lost like a, a week before right. the tournament was early to, to Murray State. Um, so they lost that one. I don't, maybe you can make an argument that Alabama got a, a little bit of a boost by Murray State, you know, beating Belmont. So maybe, maybe make that argument. But I, for, for the most part, you know, that had already happened. Um, but then, uh, and then VCU went down, you know, pretty early in their tournament. But But when. Gonzaga got upset. That was a huge upset because they had just crushed, I mean, crushed St. Mary's by 40 points like a week before. And they played St. Mary's again and lost. And if, if Gonzaga doesn't blow that game, uh, and then, uh, you know, the finale where uh, uh, the, literally the last game on Saturday night where Oregon beat Washington, right. if, that, if that game uh, doesn't go – in uh, in Oregon's in Oregon's favor, then Alabama would have gotten in. But basically, bef- basically before um, uh, you know, before that that Gonzaga St. Mary's game, um, Alabama was was lined up to go in, right? Uh, and, and then got pushed out. So, but those you know those yeah. three or four bid thieves are kind of factored into the, these these projections and these goals that we set. Like, that's right, and that's why it was ten and yeah. not nine as we saw. And we said like two weeks ago, before any conference tournament started, that. I think I remember saying this, correct? Yeah. I think I said to expect about three bid thieves. Yep. Um, and again, it ended up being four. We thought it was going to be three, but then Belmont sort of, it wasn't a huge surprise, but sort of mildly surprisingly got picked to go in. So be, because they ended up being an at-large team, then by definition, 
uh, a bid had been another bid had been stolen because they they would have not needed an at large spot had had they just beaten Murray State. So so yes, that that played a role again, just showing how close Alabama came. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Alabama's record just wasn't good enough. Eighteen and fifteen on the season. Um, you know, Alabama would have been the first team in the current. Uh, had those, had, let's say two fewer bid thieves happen. Let's say Gonzaga takes care of business against St. Mary's and Washington uh, beats Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, let's say. Um, and nothing else changed. Alabama did exactly what Alabama did. Um, Alabama would have broken the record uh, under the current NCAA tournament selection format um, for only being three games over 500. They have, no team before has been fewer than four games over 500. Um, so, you know, uh, that was, it was a poor, poor record, um, historically poor. Uh, and again, the fact that Alabama got as close as they did was a miracle and, and sort of a, a good validation for, uh, I think, for the way that the program has scheduled. You know, they, they, they went out and scheduled a bunch of teams like Georgia State, Murray State, Liberty, Stephen F. Austin, some of these teams that, you know, you're favored against, they're dangerous, but when you beat them, you actually get a pretty good bit of credit. You know, Alabama got a quadrant two win for beating Murray State, got a quadrant two win for beating Liberty. Um, the Georgia State loss, yes, it hurt, but, you know, it was a quadrant three, and a quadrant three with an asterisk, which is the, the committee knew Georgia State was a tournament. Right. Uh, so, like, as quadrant three losses go, that was probably one of the more digestible, if you will, Quadrant three losses to go down. So, you know, look, at, at, at the end of the day, Alabama had opportunities, uh, had a favorable schedule. Um, despite everything Alabama did badly, again, we're talking about could have easily been enough if only either TJ Starks doesn't make a ridiculous shot that was kind of out of Alabama. At that point, when the time he released it, was out mm-hmm. of Alabama. It wasn't, Alabama, it wasn't out of Alabama's control to let them close a 14-point gap, but it was out of Alabama's control. They guarded that play pretty well. Um or if two other things out of Alabama's control in terms of the bid deals had gone the other way, Alabama would have gotten in despite everything, all the games being blown, <laughs> all the out things Alabama did poorly this season. So the chances were there, and it's yeah, the, the Mark you said earlier, it's disappointing. Uh, it's probably the not strong enough word, but you know we'll, we'll just leave it there. Dis- very disappointing that Alabama. Um, couldn't do what it needed to do to capitalize on those opportunities and, and just just literally one more one more win would have would have done it so well so let's pull yeah. back a little bit um and just kind of take stock of the of the season as a whole you know i think um just kind of intuitively um a lot of people were uh were feeling pretty good about the team kind of like midway through sec play approaching midway through sec play for me, it was kind of that stretch where, you know, you had the the close loss to, to Tennessee. You get wins against Ole Miss and Mississippi State, which, you know, are good wins, but were really good wins at the time. People were feeling pretty good. And then it just kind of seemed like uh, things took a turn after, uh, after that, you know, starting with that Auburn game, getting blown out, and then just... Um, not a not a great performance down the stretch. You know, lost a lot of games that, that you and I kind of dubbed as should wins, and then the must win against Arkansas, which we see now why was uh, yeah. why we kind of labeled that our first must win of the year. Um, what what's your take? What, what 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 do you think happened to Alabama down that stretch? Yeah, it's 
Well, there, there were some things that Alabama – well, let me back up even further. I, if there's one word – I can sum up what was wrong with Alabama in a very long way, if we can do it in just a second. <laughs> um, but if there's one word that sort of summarizes everything I'm about to say, it is the word consistency. Alabama was not consistent. They were not consistent – within games you know how many times did we hear you know uh, it became became like a, a running joke but it was also just true like how many times did we hear a tale of two halves yeah and it you know we think about that being Alabama did well in the first half the most famous example is Alabama doing really well first half and then blowing a big lead in the second half but a couple of times it happened the opposite way it's like three I can think of three times it happened the opposite way uh, probably the most notable was the comeback win against Ole Miss in yeah. the SEC tournament um the second most notable was the Tennessee road game. I mean, that game, we, you and I were watching it together. We basically gave up at halftime, right? We're like, well, I guess we'll keep watching, but you know, <laughs> this game's over. And then Alabama had what, when you control for the difficulty of the opponent and the place of the game, was probably its best half of the season in the second half against Tennessee. It's a shame that one didn't, you know, uh, uh, finish better. Um, talk about the what ifs. What if that referee doesn't blow the whistle against John Petty <laughs> at Tennessee? Now yeah. he maybe maybe he doesn't probably doesn't make that shot he's about to take but maybe he does and right. if he does Alabama definitely in and in, in with we're definitely not having to play in a playing game either but um but that but that was a tale of two halves in the other direction and then and then one more I would note would be the maybe a more forgettable one but the LSU road game very yeah. early beginning of the SEC, of SEC play um, Alabama was now big at halftime we said this a few times LSU had a ridiculous shooting half. Got a big, got a lead of like 15 points or something at halftime, and then maybe a little more than that. Uh, and then, and then Alabama actually played a really good second half, came all the way, almost all the way, not quite all the way back, but got it down to like a one or two possession mm-hmm. game. And the, 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 I think the, 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 the Vanderbilt road game too. Uh, the first one, Alabama did not play really well in the first half. The one yeah. in Nashville, yeah, yeah, then got a big lead yeah. in the second half, but then, but then also almost blew that one. Right. And, and uh, yeah, you go on and on, but like so, inconsistency, inconsistency with end games. Uh, was very obvious and, a bu- and it went in both directions um, throughout the season. But then inconsistency across the season um, is something that was hard to notice just because, you know, bas- college basketball seasons can feel so long, especially when you spend the whole season right on the bubble and every game feels like feels like do or die. Right. Like you're about to teeter on or off the bubble. Um, so sometimes it's hard to notice some trends that, that kind of go up and down over the course of the season. But it's I'm actually still fascinated by it and haven't really kind of figured it out. But over the course of the season, Alabama's offensive efficiency and defensive efficiencies like swung wildly in both directions. Like there were there were months at a time where Alabama played poorly on defense, and then it, it, it mostly went unnoticed because Alabama didn't do well to close the season. Alabama actually defensively picked it up a bunch over the last month of the season. The problem was the offense went in the other direction even more dramatically. Um, we had bragged on this Alabama offense, but two-thirds of the way through the season, that stretch mark you talked about, um, kind of coming out of that horrible Texas A&M loss, but then Alabama kind of came back after that and, uh, you know, got a road win at Missouri, came within one possession of beating Tennessee on the road, blew out Ole Miss, a tournament team at home, um, had a lead at, at, against an NCAA tournament team, Baylor, on the road in the last couple of minutes, beat Mississippi State, a top – I think a top five seed in the top, so a top twenty team of the NCAA, you know, committee at home. That kind of that kind of stretched throughout there. Alabama's offense got as high as thirty eighth 
in efficiency on, on Pomeroy, which was higher than Alabama's offense had been in over a decade, literally. And we're talking about two-thirds of the way through the season. We're talking about, oh, like had this like a little good spurt. I mean, that, right. that was that was the data through the whole first two-thirds of the season. I remember that's why you and I were optimistic, really optimistic going into that Auburn game. Even though it was yeah. on the road, you know, we're just kind of saying if this team could put together a complete game. And we were talking about on the defensive the defense, side. Yeah, yeah. And Alabama, so at the point, Alabama was ranked 38th in, in Pomeroy in offense. That's, that's I think, the highest Alabama got. I mean, 37, 38th. Um, but on the defensive side, Alabama was struggling. Alabama was hovering around, like, 80th, 90th in defensive efficiency. Even got as low as around, I think, right about 100th at one point, about midway through the season. We had talked about that, about how that was kind of uncharacteristic because – Certainly when Anthony Grant was here, but but even Avery Johnson's first several years, the, the team was actually pretty consistently good defensively. Um, and we noticed how, how out of character that was. Okay, so so sticking to the offensive side, as high as 38, 38th in the country, two-thirds of the way through the season, guess where Alabama ended up in the Pomeroy ratings in the end of the season? 100th in the country. Alabama dropped from 38th most efficient offense two-thirds of the way through the season after playing the last third of the season, is sitting here today, the more the day after selection Sunday, ranked on the nose, ranked one hundredth, one hundredth in offensive efficiency. That's how much of a cliff Alabama's offense mm-hmm. fell off. And ironically, at the same time, um, we mentioned already that the defense had been as low as around a hundredth, you know, midway through the season or so. The defense actually improved and finished 50th in the country, which isn't great, but considering that it was 100th before, it means Alabama's defense had to play really well, or pretty well at least, over the last third of the season um, to get back up there. And, and if you look at some of these games, even the games Alabama lost, I mean, Alabama gave up just 66 points to an Auburn team that I think had has one of the best offenses in the country, lost that game. Um, Alabama... You know, against Ole Miss, which is one of the better offensive teams in the SEC in the SEC tournament, gave up just 57 points uh, uh, on 67 possessions. Um, you, you know, you look at some of the other other games. South Carolina, Alabama gave up only 68 points in 73 possessions. Um, LSU, the you know, the SEC championship team, gave up fewer than one point per possession against. And these are all games Alabama lost. Well, the Ole Miss game wasn't, but the other games Alabama lost. During the stretch down down the home stretch of the season, uh, were games where Alabama's defense played uh, actually started picking it up and playing reasonably well, but the offense just just fell off a cliff. And I think that if you're just talking about explaining why Alabama had that slide at the end of the season, I think it's all about the story is all about the offense. And in a second, we can maybe talk about some hypotheses for why what mm-hmm. explains that 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 drop off in offensive efficiency. But to go back to the larger point, right, inconsistency. It, the whole season, you know, inconsistency across the season. You had you had a whole whole month in in January where Alabama's offense was playing well, even very well, certainly well enough to be an NCAA tournament team. And then a whole month month and a half to end the season where Alabama's offense wasn't nearly good enough to be an NCAA tournament team. Then you had defensively the same thing. You had a stretch where the Alabama's defensive inconsistency cost it. We said this a million times. Costed the game against Georgia State, costed the game against Texas A and M. Um, just sort of wasn't quite strong enough to pull pull some other games to victories. Uh, so it, it, again, the, at different times of the season, different parts of the team showed that they could be good enough to be a tournament team at least. And if you put Alabama's 
good stretches of offense together, the good stretches of defense. This was a this was a top twenty five team, not even a tournament team. I'm not like a Mississippi State level team, right? right? Like yeah. it, could, it could have been like a five or six seed kind mm-hmm. of team. Um, uh, you could, I, I would argue the talent was at that level. I think Alabama, if you just look at the talent and say nothing, you know, nothing about how well this team plays together, just look at the pieces Alabama had. Again, I, I think I don't think this is unfair to say. In fact, again, if anything, this is giving some credit to the program and the coaching staff because they assembled this talent. Like I think it was a, top, I think it's like top, you know, NCAA tournament five or six seed kind of, uh, kind of talent. Um, uh, and but just just couldn't find a consistency. So individual players weren't consistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had you know I, I don't I'm not calling guys out, but just like I mean, you can name anybody, even Alabama's best players, you know. And they you could all say they have they had reasons for this, but like I mean, nobody has a better excuse than you know 17 year old Kyra Lewis. Still 17. Still 17. And I think we got we got another couple of weeks. I think we can say that another month or so to say yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, but no way is a better excuse than him, but he looked fantastic at times, but then did he definitely had games, especially later in the season where you know, he struggled a little bit more. Um, I think that also was probably the biggest reason Alabama's offense uh, slowed down. Um, you know, Dante Hall, as great as he is, and he's done a great job, uh, for all indications, a great kid, but all ind- indications, a, a hard worker, um, certainly has improved. You know, people complain about player development, but like, Dante Hall has definitely developed as a player. Oh yeah, a lot of phases, but he he was very inconsistent across games. There were certain types, there are certain teams, you know, who could you know play him a certain way. If they were just a little physical with him in just the right way, that could just kind of take him out of games. So you know, he wasn't consistent. Um, uh, John Petty, you know, a guy who late in the season, I, I don't know, this was maybe evident to people, but he got gun straight up gun shy, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because he was cold. Like his three point percentage has actually stayed pretty. Even across the whole, in fact, he's actually been less. Uh, he's been less streaky this year, and more consistent than he was last year. But for some reason, um, you saw this in the SEC tournament. He was passing up shots that he would have never passed up. Mm-hmm. You know, there was something going on there with him where he was getting a little gun shy. You know, Herb Jones had some great games and then some really frustrating games. Dazon Ingram had some really good games and some really frustrating games. Um, you know, Alex Reese was just had some good games and then didn't even get didn't even earn playing time in other games. We could just go on and on. You know, every part of the team, uh, every player in the team, just about every, both sides of the court within games, kind of just all, if I could sum up one, it's just consistency. Yeah. And Alabama, and that's what I think frustrates Alabama fans because it would be a different kind of frustration if it just was like Alabama just doesn't have the talent. Again, that would be... You could argue objectively that's a worse problem to have, maybe, but maybe a less frustrating one. Right. You know, it's it's like it's maybe a more uh, a more I don't know. It's, it's a different problem and and maybe a, a harder one to fix. It's like the the flashes that we saw when this team was playing really well on yeah. both sides of the ball. That's I think that's what made this the most frustrating yeah. for people. And I, I want to point out... They themselves proved that they were good enough. And it wasn't just like a weird game where they got hot. It was like, right. again, long stretches yeah. within games and across games across a whole month where like, okay, no, this team has what it takes to, to be easily a tournament team. And then just couldn't do it consistently. Mm-hmm. And that that's it. I think that's that's how I would sum up what went wrong. I, I want to call out 
kind of one hypothesis for this slide at the end of the season, at least on offense. And Matt, you brought it up, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately, especially as Alabama played its last couple of games. And this isn't calling out one person uh, or, or you know, individuals in particular. But, you know, one thing that we called out a lot as as kind of keys and, and areas where Alabama was struggling was turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. I think whether you're digging into the numbers or just, just watching the games, uh, it was very evident that Alabama struggled uh, turning the ball over late in the season. And uh, one hypothesis you pointed out was just that I think teams learned how to play Kyra better. You know, Kyra was is really the only you know, quote-unquote ball handler, like primary ball handler that Alabama has. Outside of, you know, you could argue argue AJ Jr., who kind of comes in. Lawson Schaefer is actually a decent ball handler, but he obviously doesn't get good minutes. But um, I think teams were kind of pressuring him to get rid of the ball earlier in possessions. And and when you pointed that out, I, I was watching more closely, and it, and it really was, uh, it was kind of evident. You know, guys, the team teams Alabama was playing weren't going full court press, but they would send a guy down the court to just kind of spy him, and then once he crosses half court, put a little bit of pressure on him, have him pass it out to Dazon or Herb or, uh, you know, somebody on the perimeter who would then, you know, is not as sure of a ball handler, and I think that hurt Alabama a lot uh, turnover-wise. So I think just generally turnovers were a big issue for Alabama, especially down the stretch. And I, I, I like that hypothesis for why. And we're not like X's and O's. This is not like an X's and O's podcast. But uh, that was that was very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is also my, my hypothesis as well. I mean, we've, uh, it's hard to say definitively, but I do think there was something to the idea that, that yeah, starting around the time Alabama started slipping, that uh, some teams started playing Kyra differently. They were, you know, really focusing on um, – we're just getting getting the ball out of his hands. Yeah. Like that, they, the team started making that a focus, and when they did that, you know, they could kind of one as you started the conversation by saying this that it forced Alabama into more turnovers, and then secondly, just sort of disrupted what Alabama was trying to do on offense and what Alabama had had success doing on offense mm-hmm. during that that really good stretch run it had uh, there in the middle third of sort of the season. Um, and I think there's that, and then I also think that you know teams recognize that really the the guys who took Alabama's offense from being below average to mediocre to being able to operate on that high level were were Kyra Lewis and Dante Hall. Those were the those were the guys who if if both of those guys were doing what they wanted to, what they were good at, the Alabama's offense was dangerous. But if you could just take those two guys and you know you're not gonna stop those two guys, but if you could take those guys and really make them work extra hard to do what they want to do, that you could really disrupt Alabama's offense. And I th- think that's my hypothesis again we're, yeah. we're not basketball coaches so we're not saying that like we've got all the x's and o's figured <laughs> out but i think if i could just point to what caused it because you know those guys seemingly were healthy um i i think that's it i think that they uh i think teams just kind of scouted them well in alabama and just didn't wasn't able to make the kind of adjustments that that needed to be made to, to do that i think it's a testament i think it speaks highly of kyra that as a 17 year old yeah. he came into the sec and in the back third of the season, had coaches game planning against him. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. that, I think that just showed kind of the impact he has and the impact he was having on games. Um, Matt, anything else you want to add here before we move on to our last segment? No, I mean, well, in the interest of like not making this a ridiculously long thing, we could go into like each stat and just sort of like go back and say, well, yeah, this was a disappointing stat for Alabama this year. This wasn't. 
Um, I guess maybe I'll highlight a couple of things. Um, one, just because it was a thing that we called out before the season as being the uh, the thing to look for. I think we kind of did, I don't think we made this official, but we sort of did an unofficial if-then for the whole season. At, like way back, one of our you know first episodes we did together back in the fall. Um, we said, yeah, what is it going to take for Alabama? We laid out what a good scenario for Alabama would be, what a bad scenario for this team would be. Um, and, you know, he said in order for Alabama to hit the good scenario, what was it going to take? And, and I flagged um, three-point shooting and just generally overall offensive efficiency. Um, the offensive efficiency, again, Alabama was on track to do that until they weren't, until the last third of the season, and then they fell off. They actually ended up kind of right back where Alabama's offense was, has been the last few years. Um but without the you know defense being as good as it was last year, um, three point shooting in particular, Alabama's percentage was up a little bit from last year. Um, this season, Alabama shot thirty four percent from the three point line. I think I remember setting like thirty five percent as a reasonable goal last year. Alabama was about thirty two and a half percent on the season. So a little bit of improvement. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it, you know that's that is that is an improvement. Um, uh, but you know you are again you'd like to see it close to like thirty five. But then again, overall offensive efficiency, you know, you were hoping to see Alabama just even like around the top fifty or so. And again, they were for a huge chunk of the season, even the majority of the season, and then and then fell off. So so that hurt a lot. Um, free throw shooting this year um, was disappointing. I would say um, rebounding was okay, uh, but probably the stat that was most damning for Alabama. And this was on both sides of the ball was turnovers. Um, Alabama turned the ball over way too many times, on the, especially down the stretch of the season. Uh, that really, really hurt, uh, hurt the Alabama offense. Uh, and, and then even more so, arguably, was on the defensive side. And we, we've been calling this out all season long, that Alabama, and this relates, by the way, to offensive inefficiency, Alabama's inability to generate turnovers and especially generate live ball turnovers. Um, Alabama is one of the very worst teams in the entire country at generating steals. Alabama's steal rate on defense was 336th in the country. Uh, the overall turnout rate was 271st. Um, Alabama next to last in the SEC in steal rate, 13th in the SEC, and then 12th in the SEC at turnover rate on the defensive side. So not only obviously does that hurt your defense by giving the other offense more chances to score, but arguably just as importantly, maybe even more importantly, when you don't generate steals, you don't generate easy free buckets. Like other teams' offensive efficiency numbers are being padded by getting you know open layout, layups on, uh, on breakouts. And, and Alabama just wasn't generating those this year. And that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so on the defensive side, that was it. Because otherwise, Alabama's defense was actually pretty good. Um, you know, last year Alabama was average and a little, actually a little above average in the country when it came to generating steals. This year, I mean, just like rock bottom when it mm-hmm. came to generating steals, and that's that's big. So other, again, otherwise Alabama's defense was fine. Look at the SEC; Alabama's defense was third best at opponent shooting percentage, third best at defensive rebounding, third best at at foul rates. So three of the four traditional factors, Alabama's defense was actually near the top of the SEC, except for at the bottom when it came to generating turnovers, so like despite the fact they were pretty efficient, it was just they were just letting up too many um, too many chances for for other teams to score. Um, actually, first at the SEC in the SEC at preventing three point uh, three pointers by the opponents, but 
all kind of erased by the fact that Alabama's turnover rates were, were low on, on defense, and then we already mentioned on offense. So big-time turnover margins were probably the biggest statistical culprit for Alabama this season, uh, and that's something that hopefully can be corrected. It's not like Alabama doesn't have the athletes. Maybe you could argue on offense on another ball handler, and this could this is a good transition as we're I think we're going to talk kind of close out the quick chat, the quick talk about the roster options Alabama has for next year. Um, but a good transition might be finding an additional ball handler, even if it's a just another a new backup point guard, you know, or somebody or, or a, a, another ball handler to put on the court with Kyra, so that opposing offenses can't, or excuse me, opposing defenses, you know, can't key on him. But I think that's something to look for next year. And um, yeah, so maybe we just kind of transition to that, that talk now. Yeah, I think we're officially putting this uh, basketball season to bed. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly going to be watching the NIT. We're not going to be doing any game-by-game, game, you know, close recaps or anything like that like we had during the season. No. Uh, I do think uh, the NIT does draw some of the best Alabama basketball crowds because it's only the fans who want to be there, and they're as close to the court as they want to be. So if you're in the Tuscaloosa area, consider that an endorsement. But anyways, that's all we're going to talk about of the NIT on this show. Maybe if they make a run to our uh, – our backyard at Madison yeah. Square Garden. We we'll, got to win three three home games. Yeah, so they could make it here. Uh, maybe we could maybe we could do a little special. You could literally, you could literally walk to the Madison Square Garden from uh, the Bama Expect Studio. It is <laughs> uh, it's literally about a fifteen. About I just 20, I, 20 I just made walk. the walk from. Yeah. Uh, it's right by my office. I just made the yeah. nice walk over here. Anyway, so you may hear from us uh, regarding the NIT if that happens. But otherwise, I think that's it for the twenty eighteen. Uh, 19 Alabama basketball team. So rest in peace. That that brings us to next year, and um, you know, again, just like we said at the top of the episode, um, you know, there's plenty of valid questions out there to be asked about the team and uh, what its future should be. But uh, you know, that's not really what we're here to do. So you know, that's going to play out um, as it will, and we'll we'll be right here no matter what happens. But I think for this segment, we want to focus on the roster and. Um, kind of the players to look out for next year and who will and won't be back. Uh, I guess it makes sense to start with the seniors, uh, Dante Hall and Riley Norris, who both, you know, gave it a great run. Uh, uh, Avery Johnson Jr. and uh, Lawson Schaefer also uh, won't be back next year. Um, There's three uh, redshirt seniors next year who – you know, these are the guys you have to keep an eye on uh, in terms of transfers. Again, we don't really have any inside info, but you've got Tevin Mack, who was a transfer himself, Daniel Giddens, another transfer, and Dazon Ingram, who could theoretically leave um, and not have to sit out another year. Uh, you got four rising juniors who have kind of made up the core of the Avery Johnson era so far. Uh, John Petty, Alex Reese, Herb Jones, and Galen Smith. Um, those guys will all be juniors. Kyra Lewis will be a sophomore next year. Um, I believe he has to come back, even if he like wanted to flirt with the NBA. He's they, he's still yeah, seventeen. You got to so. be nineteen to get an NBA. Right, so. so he won't be for another year. So yeah. he's back. Um, and then we're gonna have two redshirt freshmen, uh, Jevian Davis Fleming and Deontay Wood, who redshirted this year. Um, and then you're gonna have at least three. Uh, incoming freshmen and as we talked about a few weeks ago or I guess a couple months ago now uh, when it was National Signing Day for basketball Alabama's pulling in the 19th uh, best class as it stands right now uh, according to 
24-7 sports. Uh, the top uh, player committed right now, Jawan Gary, 6'6", uh, small forward from South Carolina. Jalen Forbes, a shooting guard from Florence, Mississippi, another four-star. And then finally, a third four-star, Jaden Shackelford, a 6'3 shooting guard from Hesperia, California. So two ball handlers like we were talking about, uh, plus a small forward. And then, of course, uh, the name that is on every Alabama basketball fan who's following uh, recruiting's mind, uh, Trendon Watford, uh, the five-star from Birmingham who's considering Memphis, Duke, LSU, uh, potentially a few others, and of course Alabama. He's been on campus. He was on campus for the Auburn game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he could still choose the tide. So that's kind of the rundown of the roster next year. Matt, anything uh, stand out to you? I mean, it looks like you know, you, there's always going to be a transfer too. But um, and then of course there could be one or two the other way. But this is going to be another talented team with potential. I think fans rightly should have. Uh, high expectations for. Yeah, I think the big the big variable is how many guys transfer out. Um, again, we, we just kind of quickly recap the guys we know we're going to lose. Dante Hall being the most important, right? Like that's a guy that there's no immediate replacement for. You've got multiple options, um, but there's no there's no guy that can do all the stuff he he could do. Um, Riley Norris, you lose um, a guy who. Uh, was absolutely invaluable for this team. You know, it's hard to imagine what Alabama would have been without him. I mean, he carried Alabama to. I felt. I think Alabama had. He was worth two extra wins for Alabama. I oh, feel, absolutely. I feel like this year. Um, so you know, you talk about if if we had, Alabama hadn't had him, I I don't think Alabama gets near this. Alabama's probably on the NIT bubble. So that that's a big loss. Again, not a, not a guy who's irreplaceable, um, but at the same time, a guy who provided a lot of value and who will be who will certainly be missed. Um, so, you know, those, those are in terms of just pure playing time. Um, those are the two, the two significant losses. Um, so that's that's, again, only two guys, um, you know, who were in the top nine in nine players in minutes for Alabama. Um, so that's pretty good. But the question is, do you lose more? And the three guys, Mark, you already mentioned it. They're three players who academically are seniors this year. Um, one, Dazon Ingram, who's already got his degree back in December. And from what I understand, both Tevin Mack and Daniel Giddens are on track to graduate either the spring or the summer before next season starts. So any of those three guys, and you just mentioned this, are basically free agents. They can transfer to any school in the country. They don't have to sit out a year. Um, I've got to imagine. I think the expectation, I would, as an Alabama fan, I would assume that two of those three guys leave. Um Maybe all three leave. Maybe only one leaves. Although I'd, I'd be surprised, but maybe none of them leave. Uh, it could be any. I, we have no inside info. Just total speculation. But I just as an expectation, I would just expect to lose two of those three guys in order. And I don't think this is any secret. This is speculation, but I think the logic here is obvious. The number one most likely is probably Daniel Giddens, just because you know he transferred to Alabama looking for better opportunity for playing time. Um, Sat most of the year, wasn't part of Alabama's rotation. Late in the year, got in, did have some positive contributions, and I think played better than he has at any time during his career. Um, Dante Hall leaving, he might see an opportunity and want to stay, but I just think given that he spent so much of his time uh, the last year or two kind of on the outside of Alabama's playing rotation, I think that's got to be the most likely guy to transfer. Um, Again, total speculation here. Um, 
the next most likely Tevin Mack. You know, he didn't start his career at Alabama. Um, came here um, only after um, supposedly having a falling out with Texas's coaching staff. Um, so obviously, set out last year. The reason he has the extra year is because he's had to sit out a year when he transferred to Alabama. Um, you know, this year he was certainly a positive for Alabama. Certainly a good offensive player helped Alabama's offense. You know, struggled a little bit defensively, like just about everybody else in Alabama's team. Certainly struggled with consistency. But a guy that you certainly would like to have in your arsenal if you're Alabama. We were um, talking about Riley Norris. I think you can. I think he was worth two wins for Alabama. Yeah, this Alabama year. doesn't beat Kentucky, Kentucky and then Ole Miss and, and really the, the SEC Ole Miss. tournament. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. So you know, but at the same time, he's a guy who you know, hasn't. He's not from Alabama. Hasn't spent his whole career at Alabama. Doesn't have the ties to the program or the state. You know, um, so and and again this year, you know he. Got a lot of playing time, but he only played about half the available minutes. He gives it 51%, according to the Ken Palm website. So a guy who, at another program, could potentially get more play, more even more playing time, maybe even be like the focal point if he was on a mid-major team, be like a leading scorer type of guy. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Alabama loses him. Um, I'd say 50-50 at that, just because there's going to be a ton of other teams that want him. There's absolutely no – with the new NCAA rule, not new but at this point, it's like 15 years old now, but – the rule where you can transfer if you've already graduated. So that's a guy to keep a really close eye on. And then the, then the, the third guy in this group, and one that Alabama fans haven't thought as much about because he's been with the program so long and is from Alabama, is Dazon Ingram. And, again, same thing. It applies to him. He's already graduated, already has his degree. He can go anywhere he wants. Um, you know, you, you think he's more likely to stay, again, just because his ties to the program and the school and the state are stronger but there's absolutely nothing keeping him from going somewhere else, and he may just feel like, understandably, that he's done, he's done four years at Alabama. He's got an opportunity to go somewhere else, maybe even some, again, a, a mid-major school where he could be the guy um, appeals to him or whatever the case may be. Um, it, but, again, I'm going to say, like we did with bid steals, I projected something like three was a reasonable expectation. I think a reasonable expectation is that two of these three guys transfer out, just given the way college basketball is gone. But... Maybe maybe none leave. Maybe all three leave. Maybe only one leaves. But those are the three guys to keep a, uh, a closest eye on. But then you've got you know the next question is there's uh, really five. Well, I guess I guess seven if you count the two guys that redshirted. This would apply to all all seven of those guys. Um, that's that's rising juniors John Petty, Herb Jones, Alex Reese, Galen Smith, rising sophomore Kyra Lewis, and then rising redshirt freshman. Javian Fleming Davis, uh, Davis Fleming, and then uh, Deontay Wood. Any of those guys, of course, could transfer. Um, but the bar is higher. They have to go sit out a year. So mm-hmm. they, they have to really want out. Right. Um, and I can totally see that happening. Like, we don't really know why Deontay – I mean, supposedly there was injuries for both of these guys, Deontay Wood, Javian Davis Fleming. But if either of those just feels like – or the coaching staff maybe encourages them that, you know, they don't see a path to playing time in Alabama, they could be – Again, either encourage or just decide to look for opportunities elsewhere. Um, it's, gosh, you certainly would not hope to or expect to see Kyrie Lewis leave. <laughs> um, but and if he did, he'd ha- again he'd have to sit out a year. So again, they'd have to really want to get out. I, again, I don't. I certainly would hope not in that case. But then you've got the other group like John Petty, Alex Reese, Herb Jones, Galen Smith. Um, you know, Reese and Smith both had inconsistent playing time. Now, again, Dante Hall's leaving. They may see opportunity to stay and be the guy, especially if Giddens also leaves. You know, they could certainly see opportunities to stay. 
But at the same time, again, they they haven't maybe gotten the playing time they've wanted, so they could be looking to leave for, for other opportunities. Um, Petty and Herb Jones are two guys who, you know, they're interesting cases because they have, um, you know, been, their names have at times since they arrived in Alabama's campus appeared not on like, not like as these guys are projected to go in the first or second round of the NBA draft, but they've appeared on some NBA scouting websites as like guys mm-hmm. to watch, you know, so that, that, and no, no doubt that information is getting to them. And I think both of those guys would probably tell you themselves that they had, they were disappointed with their development this year or just the way that, you know, that this year played out for them individually. Um, not that either was bad by any means. I don't mean to say that. I just mean that like, I would say I would argue that if going into the season the guys felt like they were on track to be NBA draft picks, I don't think they come out of the season feeling like they are on pace to be NBA draft right. picks. And if they get that sense of like, oh, they they think it's because of something about the situation in Alabama, maybe they go look to um, to change. That, that essentially not to open up old wounds, but it's Trevor Lacey situation, right? That was right. The, as the deal with him. Now it turned out he really wasn't an NBA draft. He was a great college player, but just. You know, so it could be that type of that type of thing. Which he thinks he needs, a, they think they need a change of scenery in order to get on an NBA trajectory. Again, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just speculating what could cause somebody like that to leave. So you got to worry about that for them. Uh, and then again, Kyra Lewis is probably the number one guy you don't want to lose because you know the potential he has when he's think about when he's actually a freshman. You know, right? <laughs> he's a high schooler this year. Imagine when he's actually a freshman and 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 can get a little more consistent. So. That's the number one guy to watch out for. But again, there's absolutely nothing to indicate any of these guys, by the way. There's no indications as far as we know that they're going to leave. We're just saying, what do you watch out for? But to and, the- and it's, you know, it's like, this isn't as black and white as like numbers and statistics that we need to go through. But like mathematically, somebody is going to transfer. Yeah. Probably like and more than m- one. Most likely they're going to come from that group of three. Tevin Mack, Dezani Ingram, Daniel Giddens. But it's certainly possible. In fact, I'd even say of the seven guys who would have to sit a year if they transfer. I'm going to say, again, the odds are one of them. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I have no idea who, but I said, well, just the, the mathematical odds are one. Now, maybe it's two of them, or maybe it's none of them, but or maybe it's more than that. But, like, best guess, expect only, like, one of them. I have no idea who it's going to be to, to unexpectedly leave. And then of the other three, I'm expecting, like, two of them. Just, just, guess, just because that's the odds in college basketball these days, for better or for worse. Um, I'd probably argue for worse, but... Um, whatever guys, you gotta do what they guys do what they got to do, looking out for themselves within the rules, and they're entitled to do that. That's that's personal decision. But um, as Alabama fans, that's the big question: how many of these guys do you lose? And then the incoming freshmen, or excuse me, the incoming signees. One more time, all all actually top 100 recruits. Um, but just talk about what Alabama might need for next year. Uh, top 100 recruits, by the way, that that is that is great. <laughs> when you're bringing in top 100 recruits, that's NCAA talent. At NCAA tournament level talent, and they're getting like an athletic small forward in Jawan Gary, and then both Jalen Forbes and Jaden uh, Shackelford are both considered to be excellent three point shooters. So that's got to get you excited as an Alabama fan. Uh, the one thing I already mentioned this Alabama isn't bringing in is a primary ball handler. Now, if you get Kyrie Lewis back, which you should, there's again no indications that that and he has a great reason not to leave, which is that you have to sit out a year. Um, but even with Kyrie Lewis coming back, you've got to have a second ball handle, even if it's just a backup point guard. And, you know, I'm the last person that wants to give Auburn credit for anything, but, you know, I think the addition this year of their backup point guard, McCormick, uh, who was not, he was just a Juco guy 
not even that high. I think he was like a three-star Juco guy, but a guy who just is perfect for that role as a backup point guard. Really good ball handler, um, can come off the bench, provides a lot of energy, can take the pressure off of, uh, of Jared Harper. They already have an excellent point guard, but they, they can take the pressure off of him. Uh, both in terms of minutes played and in terms of just being on the court whenever they need a second ball handler. So I think a guy like that, not again, I'm not talking, Alabama's at this point not going to go out and find, you know, a big-time high school recruit. Um, but, again, even just a JUCO guy or maybe a grad transfer, like a starting point guard for a, a solid mid-major team who's okay with being the backup point guard for a big-time program, you know, a guy like that would be a good – addition to look out for we already mentioned Trendon Wadford's another player Alabama's going to continue going after you know don't get your hopes up but it's certainly possible Alabama's among the finalists he's certainly interested in Alabama at least um other than that and then, and then depending on who transfers out you know if you lose even if you lose just Giddens but especially if you lose Giddens plus one more of the big guys transfers out you certainly would want to think about pulling in a, a big body um you know we always talk about Alabama fans following look back at Chris Hines. Again, a guy like that even. If let's say let's say Reese and Galen Smith are coming back, no Daniel Giddens, but you just want a big physical body, you know, who can frankly like a Daniel Giddens type player. Like you'd look for maybe a Juco guy or a fifth or a, or an incoming grad transfer who can who can plug that gap. But I think those are the kind of the, the things to look for. Depending on transfers out, maybe you look for one more big body as a transfer or Juco guy. And I think Regardless, you I'd like to see Alabama look for uh, another ball hand. Again, it doesn't have to be a big time. You know, it's not going to be a big time guy. It's too late in the process. But again, just finding a guy uh, like McCormick for Auburn, you know, a guy who can just come in from the JUCO ranks or maybe a grad transfer who can be a good, solid ball handling backup point guard or just you know secondary ball handler on the court to go along with Alabama's going to have shooters. But the two freshmen coming in, Forbes and Shackelford, hopefully John Petty's back. Um, there's the three of them alone. You're, you're going to have shooting ops, especially if Tevin Mack also comes back. Um, Kyrie Lewis can shoot. You know, there's there's going to be shooters. So I, I think just ball handlers is the the big key to bring in. All right. Well, I think that uh, that does it for this episode. Our retrospective on the 2018-19 season that I think we all uh, we all can say uh, has come too soon. Uh, but Matt enjoyed uh, enjoyed going through this season with you through all the ups and downs. Uh, and uh, to everybody out there who stuck with us and have stuck with us uh, this far in this episode, uh, thank you too. You know, I think we, we can both say we had a we enjoyed doing this, even if it did end a little too soon. Um, but uh, like I said at the top of the episode, we're going to be taking a couple weeks off. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Bama Expats for uh, any other uh, updates around the show. Um, but until then, uh, thanks for listening.